Hi, we are Vintage City Church based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Welcome to our podcast. As a family, we are currently working through the book of Revelation. If you'd like to watch the live video of this teaching, head over to our website at vintagecitychurch.com. With that, let's get started with today's teaching. All right, stay standing. I want to grab Revelation, and we're going to read through a few verses, and then we're going to see what kind of tracks we can make. Chapter 1, verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace from the one who is, who always was, who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the commander of all the rulers of the world. All praise to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us his kingdom and his priests who serve God, serve before God his Father. So give him everlasting glory. He rules forever and ever. Amen. Holy Spirit, as we set our eyes towards the text, would you lead us and guide us and teach us? Lord, I know that there's a plethora of things that we could focus on. We just ask for this time right now that you'd set our attention at the things that are in your heart for this house. We love you. We honor you. We love the scriptures. We love what they do in our lives. We love the the change they bring in us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Go ahead and find a place to sit. I love the first portion where, the, where John talks about the commander of all the rulers of the world. What I love, and, and I think Pastor Dustin did a great job of that a couple weeks ago, of just pointing it to what John's really teaching is, Jesus is the one. You've found your source, you've found where to align your life. And I think so often in our culture, it seems like there are competing voices that would invite us to follow them, invite us to align under. And I, for just as the people of God, I was, that verse we started with today, that we're the family of God, we're also the temple of God. I think for us, if we take all of that and we apply to it this idea of the fear of the Lord that's been so stirred up in this house for the last few weeks, where I feel like the Lord is challenging his people to step into a greater fear or reverence of him. If I look at all that, it comes down to one simple solution. I've decided he is it. And I'm not going to deviate from that. I'm going to apply him to my life in fullness and allow nothing else. Because I look at the end of the game and realize at some point in the future, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, everybody will align under him and say, oh, you're actually not an idea, you're God. How much, I don't know about you, but how many want to be in on the ground floor of things? I want to stand there that day and go, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you all thought it was a joke. We knew it was right. Paul goes on and says this. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. He, he kind of lays out, and I love his ability to just directly hit stuff. He's like, look, here's how it goes. If he's not God, we're idiots. We're cursed above all men because we're following this incredibly elaborate lie if he's not God. You're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Decide he's God. That's what John says. John's statement is, look, I actually think John is having a moment 
in this vision. I think, he, I think he's probably riddled with the same kind of self-doubt that we are at times. And I think he sees this vision and he sees this myriad of people and he sees this king on the throne and he sees them all bowing and worshiping and he's freaking out and he's almost saying it, wow, look, he actually is the one. We're not wrong. We're not following this guy that was my buddy and then he died and I think he's God. Wow, he sees it for the first time and he's trying to pull all of his readers with him and say, wow, do not doubt. What I just saw, I don't even know how to explain. It should cause this like formational truth in us. It just says, you know what? I don't have to wonder anymore. I'm gonna align with him, period. It should cause this simple, like, he's smarter than me. How many would, us, would, would tell me, how many understand the theory of relativity at the same level Albert Einstein did? How many have decided early on in your academic career He's enough smarter than me, I'm just going to go with what he said. Most of us have. Most of us are like, I don't even know what it is. Okay, so how much more do we align with Jesus and say, I just assume you're so much greater than I am, and you know so much more than I do that I'll do what you said, because you're the one. And then John goes on and says, all praise to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, by shedding his blood for us. I don't know that we have enough time to get through all five and a half pages of these notes, but I wanna focus on just this first phrase, all praise to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. To him who loves us is a, is a word agapante, so it, it, the root of it is agape. But in this particular portion of text, this word is in a present active voice which means he is currently loving me, he is currently cherishing me. And I think that is, it so flies in the face of our oft sense of an austere God who's irritated with us or disconnected. It's this active thing that currently right now, you can say this, God is loving me. Not he loves me, not he loved me. He's loving me. He is actively loving on me. Actively cherishing me. How many would be honest enough to say, I don't often feel cherishable by God? I find, my, I see myself, you know, and you look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you could love that. But this word here, John's not saying to his reader, you know, he loved you. He loved you at the cross, which is so often how we view it. How many have ever heard somebody say, you know, he did enough for me. I don't need to do anything else. Well, that's awesome to say, and I think it's healthy to say, but the truth is, you're not God, so you don't get to dictate what he does. And his statement is, I am actively, aggressively loving and cherishing you. And there's this next phrase, he has freed us from our sins. And I want to look at this word freed. The word is lusanti in the Greek. The word luo, its root word, means to untie or unbind. Now, in the way this verse, this verb comes up, or this word comes up, it's in what's called an aorist. You're like, why is it already doing it in the Greek language? Because it's important to understand how this is written in the Greek. Because the action that's referred to is completed and done. It's historic. So John's translation of this, really for us to understand, is to him who loves us and has untied us from our sins by his blood. How do we apply that? Well, consider a person untying a knotted rope. 
Can you imagine being a prisoner who has been held captive, arms behind your back, a rope tied tight enough you can't undo it, you're left in the cold, you're left to the wiles of the wild, and somebody comes along and physically unties the rope so you're no longer stuck where you were. That's the picture. It's, the picture, it's a picture of untying an animal that's stuck in a trap. The freedom is the direct evidence of being unfettered or loosed. There are a couple key grammatical things I want us to catch. This, this participle for loves, present tense, in process, constant. Untied, meaning it's done. And he says, but it's done through his blood, by shedding his blood for, the, for us. Now, when I was studying this, what came to mind instantly for me was the graphic nature of the cross. Because it's so easy for us, specifically in a Western culture, to anesthetize it and, and just say things like, yeah, he died for us. We don't really consider the fact that his back was laid open and filleted, turned into hamburger on our behalf. That he took real physical punishment and pain. That he was stabbed. He took a knife or, or spear into his side. That there, was, there was this very visceral moment where, where the physicality of what it meant, and this is what John's talking about, that he shed his blood for us. That our sinful brokenness was redeemed when he bled out. It's an it's a oddly graphic thing to consider. But our sin required justice. We know that. We'd all be like, yeah, I get that. So what Jesus does is places himself by the Father's bidding in a place to suffer abuse for the wrong that we did. And I'm aware that this becomes an idea that we're super well acquainted with. We're like, why are you saying this? I just want to apply it for a second. I want you to go into your memory bank. I want you to go into that place of your most embarrassing, most horrific sin moment. The one where you're like, that's the one that really makes me just feel sad about my history. That's the one I think about. It's the one that, that, that comes to mind when somebody talks about your brokenness. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe you've lived so well you've only made one. Or maybe you're like me and you're like, wow, there's a laundry list. I want you to consider the shame that comes with that. Do you remember the moment you stepped into an egregious sin and you really wanted absolution? That sense of being overwhelmed with guilt? And you're like, I gotta get free from this? Anybody else remember that? Yeah. I want you to stare at those places where you knew you were dead to rights wrong. Those are the moments Jesus let the soldiers whip him for. That while he's strung out and they're whipping him and they're, they're turning his back into hamburger, what's going on in his mind is the moment where he knows you were trapped in shame and you were trapped in brokenness. And so his, what's going on in his mind is, I can endure this so they can go free. That's what John's talking about. So if we go back to the actual syntax of the language, there's this incredible truth that comes out of us. His loving of us is communicated as an active and continuous reality, whereas his untying us from sin is a done task. What does that mean? His love's available now. There's an ever 
increasing order of love that's been released to us. You're never gonna find a spot where God doesn't love you and isn't actively loving you. So anytime you have a feeling or a belief that he doesn't love you or he couldn't love you, you must identify that as rooted in hell because it's a lie that is counter to what the scripture says. That every one of those moments should begin with the prayer that goes like this, I know you love me and I know you're in love with me. Can we work on this thing? Instead of that thing the enemy loves, which is, he doesn't want to talk to you. You disgust him. He's embarrassed of who you are. Just fight it out on your own, figure it out, and then go talk to him. Why would the enemy whisper things like that? You're like, I don't hear that. Yes, you do. We all act out from those places. The great cover-up where we pretend we're not as dysfunctional and broken as we are. Why? Because if anybody knew, what would they think? What they would think is you're a broken human being loved by God. Welcome to the club. He whispers those things because he understands it is the love of the Father poured out on us that cleanses us. I always go back to this passage in Isaiah 1. Come here. Let's reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, they could be white as wool. Though they be as red as crimson, I can make you white as snow. How? Get over here. I want to talk to you. Why? Because every time I talk to you, my love pours out on you, and my love cleanses you, and it, it brings faith out of you, and all of a sudden, you leave that encounter better than you started. But I can't do that for you if you don't come talk to me. Why do you think your life gets so busy you can't get alone with the Lord? Is it possible that there's an agenda towards that? Is it possible that our enemy understands busyness is the enemy of intimacy? And when we're not intimate with him, we don't get washed by him, we don't get cleansed by him, we don't get loved by him, and we stay in the dysfunctional funk that we're in instead of evolving into people who can stand up understanding, I am dearly loved, I am blessed, and I reflect my king. The secret place, that investment, isn't about being a good believer. It's literally a survival mechanism. Whether we like it or not, we all know we need showers in the morning, and if you didn't know that, you do. Why would you not assume you need a spiritual shower the exact same way? I've got to have your love wash over me. I've got to have your love cascade and reveal all the places where my own brokenness and my own dysfunction is rising up. So Lord, I'm going to be here with you because I need you. This isn't about a religious exercise that makes you a good Christian. This is about a survival mechanism that fixes your broken humanity. His atoning act and his liberating us from sin is completed and done. Church, there is nothing that can be added to his finished work of freeing us from sin. That's what John is teaching. He untied you. And because of that, any partnership you have with sin is now your choice. 
I want you to consider that for a second. When he shed his blood, he untied you from sin and freed you. You were no longer bound. But you have an enemy that loves to whisper, you're stuck in that. You've got to get clean. You got clean the moment he died. You can actually choose to not partner with sin. You're like, how? Well, it starts with the mental understanding of, I'm not trapped. If anyone says you've, you've trapped yourself in addiction, no, you haven't. You may have built a mechanism in your body that craves something, but according to this passage, the moment he died on the cross, you were freed from the power of death. That you have the ability to say no. How? Well, it starts with saying no. (laughs) Are there things that we're going to have to go through to deprogram that? Sure, 100%. You might have to go through addiction counseling or therapy to unwind the habits you built. But what I promise you is as a child of God, you possess the ability to walk clean. Your partnership with sin is your choice. It's not a victimized thing. You're not stuck in sin. Humanity, let's go one step further. The unsaved are actually freed from sin. All they have to do is make the choice towards him because he already paved the way for them. He broke sin for everyone. He untied everyone from sin. And it wasn't a casual untying. It was an untying and a burning of the rope, which means if you wanna go back and sin, you're gonna grab a rope and you're gonna tie yourself back to that thing because he already freed you. But the problem is because he's that powerful, that rope still will dissolve. Because the answer still is, I once and for all time took sin upon my body so you don't have it control you. It will never control you. It can't control you. The fact that you even feel controlled by it is actually a construct of hell and it's a lie. That all you have to do is make a choice towards me. So when you say I'm just a sinner, I can't help myself, you're lying. What you should say is, you know what, I chose sin and it's my fault. And this is why repentance is so awesome. I chose sin, it's my fault. You know what, that's dumb, no way. I'm going back the other direction. I would much rather find a church full of people that found themselves in a mistake, hit pause, went the other direction, than a bunch of people who keep going out of their own pride because they can't admit, I screwed up and I need to change directions. Because the truth is, church, we are free. According to Galatians, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. He didn't set us free so that we could stay stuck in sin. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very simple analogy, but can you imagine as a parent, your son or your daughter is in financial crisis and you hand them a check to get them out of the problem and they're too lazy to go to the bank. And they, and they end up going into bankruptcy, and they end up going into foreclosure, and they end up ruining their credit, and they end up in jail because of it, but they held the entire time a single check that would have wiped away everything. But they weren't willing to live into it. And as a parent, you understand, it's a weird helicopter mechanism if you go cash the check for them, <laughs> because at some point we have to let natural consequences happen. 
But we have a king who is so loving and so gracious and so committed to our success that his statement was, I'm going to break the power of sin so it can't hold you. And all you got to do is choose freedom. Because you can be free now because you're free. I love that verse. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Because what it says is the freedom he called us to walk in, he gave us to choose, but we are actually free. Every drop of his blood was shed because of his love. I think sometimes we treat it as if he did it because the father told him to. Do I think there was express obedience in what he did? Yes. But based on what John teaches here, he didn't just do it because he was told to. He did it because he actually loves you. He loves me. He loves the world. And we are to follow his lead. And become a people who love lavishly, who forgive lavishly, who grace lavishly, because we've been loved, we've been forgiven, and we've been graced. Stand with me, please. Four simple things I want to leave us with. We love because we were loved, we prefer because we were preferred, we serve because we were served and we free those who've wronged us because we've been freed. John's point, he creates this incredible picture of who this king is. And he's like, come on. He freed us so we could be like him. Live out of the place of knowing my king is the king. And he's invited me into something different than this world. He's made us a kingdom and his priests who serve before God his Father. He made us to reveal him. So if you're still hung up in any way, shape, or form with his love for you, my hope is just hearing this, you're like, well, biblically, that's impossible. If you're still hung up with feeling like you're just stuck in addiction or you're stuck in sin, or you're stuck in bad habits. My hope is that you hear this and go, ah, biblically, that's actually not possible. It means I've made some choices and I actually have the freedom to say no. You're like, yeah, well, you don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. The power of God that freed you is the power of God that freed you, period. It's not like there's a, an index of sin and his answer is, I don't know if my blood was good enough for that one. There's not a level. His blood just unilaterally eliminated sin's power. Now we have to decide if his blood's gonna eliminate our ability to choose sin. Lord, we stand before you today. I just have been all week long so gripped by our partnership with sin is our choice you gave us the freedom to no longer be in that place. Thank you for that. To just say thank you for that feels so light. Jesus, that's incredible that we've been free for a long time and that you took punishment and pain in your body so that you could stand and look at us and go, hey, come on, I set you free. Be free. Would you lead us and guide us in this 
Lord, in all the places this week where we have willfully aligned with sin, would you begin to break those in the name of Jesus? Would you begin to reveal those? The places where the constructs of our mind, our behaviors, our attitudes, all those places. Holy Spirit, would you whisper into those, yell into those, scream if you need to. And we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your time with us. If you can, we would love to have you join us at a live gathering. We are located at 1501 Academy Court in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about Vintage City Church, including our gathering times, previous teachings, and how to become a part of our family, visit us today at vintagecitychurch.com or connect with us on social media.